0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 21 in its entirety. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech, about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two, set men, the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Heavenly Father, having read this great chapter, Father, we look to you and ask that, Father, you would be pleased to teach and instruct each one of us in the many truths and the, the many lessons, the many precepts that we have in this great chapter. Father, we ask that, Lord, you would apply your word to our hearts. And Father, we ask that, Lord, you would change us by way of your word, that, Father, you would work by way of your Holy Spirit, that He would not only teach us and guide us, but that he would change us, oh Father. Lord, we submit and surrender ourselves to you, and Father, we we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There are a a lot of uh, passages that are difficult in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and as we've been studying through Genesis, there's One uh, fact that I've been trying to, uh, uh, that I've been making over and over again is that when we come to a difficult passage, a dark passage, if you will, uh, grace is always nearby. You've heard me say that over and over again. And of course, uh, I can't think of too many passages that are darker than Genesis 19 um, in Scripture. There's Judges 19. Uh, Some of you, if you're familiar with Judges, uh, Judges 19 is... Is in there, certainly in the list. Uh, and there are, there are many stories that make us scratch our head. And, 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 and we think to ourselves, what is, what is up with this? Uh, and one of the points that I've wanted to make about, about our study in the Old Testament is that when we come to these dark passages, light is always nearby. And Genesis 19 being as dark as it is, and then Genesis 20, here we find Abraham struggling. Uh we f- we we just find him off his game in, in Genesis 20, but when we get to Genesis 21, especially verses 1 through 7, oh there's light. Uh, this is just an it, it's, just, it's it's just as we're going to see, if you haven't seen already for yourself, this is just an incredibly bright, incredibly bright passage, uh full of light and full of joy. I think that if for those of you who like to take notes and make notes, I think that we could summarize chapter 21 really with one word. I like in my mind to try to do this from time to time. It helps me really wrap my mind around, okay, what is the Holy Spirit doing with this chapter? How is this chapter contributing to the overall message of salvation? It helps me put a peg in my own mind that I can wrap things over. And I think that the word fulfillment, Uh, or fulfill would be a good word, single word to describe Genesis 21, as long as we qualify the word fulfillment, as long as we understand that this is only partially fulfilled. Obviously, all of these things point to Jesus. So this isn't a complete fulfillment, but if we understand that um, with the word fulfill, that it's partial fulfillment. I think it's a good way. I think it's a good peg to put in our minds here of a one-word summary of of Genesis 21. If we look, if we begin with verse 1, and I'm happy that we've read this a couple of times this morning because uh, verses 1 and 2 really say so very much. Notice there, verse 1 says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, the lord did to sarah as he had promised and sarah conceived and bore abraham a son in his old age at the time of which god had spoken to him now it's commonly pointed out commentaries very commonly show that we have really uh, we have a subject being visited here three times in a row notice with the word uh, the lord visited sarah as he had said He did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived, bore a son at the time which God had spoken. So we have said, we have promised, we have spoken. Now, there's something interesting going on here. In Hebrew literature, ancient Hebrew literature, one of the ways in which the the author will reach what we would call in English the superlative, you know what I mean by the superlative, Uh, superlative in the English language would be awesome. Uh, Awesome. Uh, One thing you won't hear me do is describe anything as awesome except for the Lord. Uh, When I went to school, our English teachers used to tell us, reserve the superlative for that which is superlative. Pizza might be really good, but it's not awesome. Because you see, if we use the word "awesome" for pizza, then what do we have left for that which is truly awesome? Namely, God. We don't have anything left for God, and I don't want to compare God to pizza. No matter how good pizza is, you know, pizza might be really, really good. And I'm not taking away from if someone says, "Man, that pizza was awesome." You know, I probably would like to have a piece of it myself. But um, we need to reserve that word just for God. Now, here we have. Uh, and sometimes before I get ahead of myself, sometimes in in in, um, in Hebrew literature in the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll find the author uh, doing this. Sometimes the Lord will say of, of himself, He will say, "I am holy." Uh, for instance, for example, if God says, "I am holy," okay, what does that mean? That means God is set apart. That means God is perfectly pure. That means he is unlike anything else. He stands uh, separate from his creation, if you will. We, we get that. Now, sometimes it could be said that God is uh, holy, holy, if we want. Now, what would we be saying with that repetition? Well, if we could think of good, better, and best. Uh, with holy, holy, we would be, we'd be doing a better, good and better. It's a, it's a device that the uh, ancient writer would use in order, to, in order to extend towards the superlative, if you will. Now, with that in mind, uh, we're aware that the angels, what do they say of God? The angels that attend to God in His immediate presence, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And with that literary device, what are they saying? They're saying you're awesome. They're saying you're awesome. And I'm laboring at this because I think there's a little bit of this going on in verses 1 to 2. It could have just written, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah. She conceived a son and um, uh, uh, to Abraham in his old age. And we would get that. Now, When the biblical author writes, they don't ramble on like preachers sometimes do. There's always a certain conciseness. It's always amazing to me how some of these narratives can be said so well with so few words. So when we have these extra words here, and in our text we have a couple places where there seems to be extra words. This is not the biblical author. Moses is not just rambling on here. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is emphasizing something for us. What is he emphasizing? He is emphasizing this, that the Lord visited Sarah as He had said, He did to Sarah as He had promised, and Sarah conceived at the time in which God had spoken. Said, promised, spoken. Now what's that telling us? telling us that God is faithful in keeping his promises. That's what it's saying. And this is where this idea of fulfillment is coming from. God had made these promises. He'd made very specific promises to Abraham and Sarah. And here God has made good on those promises. There's another word before we move on that I want to point out to you. And in fact, I'll confess, this word, this word visited is the one that really had kind of captured my attention. So much so that as of Friday morning of this week, I hadn't really studied anything else in this whole chapter except for visited. And I thought to myself, Rick, you really need to push the gas pedal down here because there's 34 verses. And unless you're gonna preach and announce your text is, okay, this morning our text turn in, in uh, Genesis 21 and this morning's text is visited. <laughs> unless you're gonna do that, then you really need to to, to get going here. Um, but." The reason this word visited so captured my attention. Look look how it reads. The Lord visited Sarah. Now, the the reader of the Old and New Testament will recognize that that word comes up from time to time, doesn't it? This word visited. In fact, without taking a lot of time on it, um, if you keep your place in Genesis 21, If you turn to Genesis 50, the very last chapter of Genesis, and in this chapter, uh, we really find Joseph. You know, the the patriarchs are in Egypt. And Joseph really is making one of his last requests before before he dies. And in verse 24, Joseph says to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will what? He will visit you. See that? And He will bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely what? He'll visit you. And you shall carry up My bones from here. Now, the Reformation Study Bible has a note in regards to the Hebrew verb, which is translated "visit" in this text, and it reads this way: it says that it denotes a divine encounter that will change one's fortunes for good or ill. For good or ill, here it's a divine encounter. Now, with that in mind, um, I, I invite you to turn to Luke, to Luke's gospel, just for a moment. Let's just make a couple connections before we move on, and. Genesis twenty-one. If you turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter one, Luke chapter one, and the the, t- the context of the text I have in mind here is Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are barren, and they're not able to have children, obviously. And uh, Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, "Okay, you're, you know, Elizabeth's gonna, you're going she's gonna conceive and have a child." And um, you're to call him John, and and John is has just been born. And you'll recall that Zechariah didn't believe uh, he had a he had a it, 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 he just had a moment of, of, of kind of a lack of faith there in that visitation, and he didn't believe Gabriel. And uh, G- Gabriel uh, disciplines him, and he's unable to speak. And he's unable to speak until John's born, and. John has just been born, and we're told in verse 67, chapter 1, verse 67, that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has what? He has visited. He has visited and redeemed His people. Now what is that pointing to? That's pointing to the coming of the Messiah, isn't it? John the Baptist would be the forerunner for Jesus. And Luke will pick up on this word visited in his record of the ministry of Jesus in chapter 19. If you turn to chapter 19, Luke 19, and the context of this passage is the triumphal entry. Jesus is descending down the Mount of Olives in what the church has historically called the triumphal entry. And he, at one point, down over the Mount of Olives, he, he looks over Jerusalem, and we're told in verse 41, Luke 19:41, that when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, "Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes." For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your what? Your visitation. Isn't that an incredible thing? That's why I say, back to Genesis 21. We can... we can. We can summarize this chapter with the word fulfillment as long as we understand it's partial. It's a partial fulfillment. Here we are told that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived at the time in which God had spoken. Had the Lord not visited Sarah, there would be no Isaac. Isaac. And that leads to, if we want to put a title on all of this, if you want to put a title on this message, you want to put a title on this chapter, I would I would entitled it, It's All of God. It's all of God, because that is what's being made so abundantly clear in all three scenes that we have in this chapter, is that it is all of God. Had God not visited Sarah, there would be no Isaac. Now, there are a few other threads in this chapter that are important for us to take notice. In verse 3, Genesis 21, verse 3, Abraham calls the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him. Notice the repetition again there. There's repetition there. I mean, you could get rid of the phrase, whom Sarah bore him. You could get rid of that, and we would see, it would still be very clear to us uh, what's going on. Again, Moses is emphasizing that the child would be born to Sarah because God has emphasized that over and over again through the course of this. Genesis 17, Genesis 18. No, your wife Sarah, you know, your wife Sarah, she shall be Sarah, and she's going to bear a son. She is going to bear the children of... The child of promise, if you will. And here Moses, the author of Genesis, is reiterating that. He's emphasizing that. But back to the point here. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him Isaac. And you'll notice most of you should have a footnote there by Isaac. And if you look at the margin, you'll see that Isaac actually means laughter or he laughs. Depending on your translation, it might say laughter or it might say uh, he laughs. And laughter actually has been a theme that's been running through the context of this whole thing for quite some chapters now, isn't it? Remember, when we're studying Scripture, there's three things that are important context, context, and what's the third? It's context. And what is the context? What is this this idea of laughter? Well, back in Genesis 17, if you just turn back there for a moment, as a matter of review, in Genesis 17, verse 15, God says to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and what? He laughed. He laughed. And said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now, Abraham's response is, is laughter. Now, there's a, there's a, the community is somewhat divided about this. Is, Abra, is, is Abraham laughing in unbelief, uh, complete unbelief? Uh, I don't think so. I think that this is an amazing thing, isn't it, to be told. I mean, uh, this is an amazing thing. Uh, Abraham, you know, 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, uh, 90 years old. She's going to conceive and have a child. Uh, he could just be going, oh, man. Uh, you know he could just be just shaking his head and when I just don't boy this is this is just and, and laughing to himself. I think that's the best construction we can put on it. There does seem to be kind of a half maybe kind of a half doubt here because in eight verse eighteen he says, oh that Ishmael might live. He's looking to Ishmael. There seems to be some confusion in his part. But he's not he doesn't seem he doesn't appear to be rebuked. Whereas when we get to Genesis 18 The Lord appears to to Abraham there, and he says to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife, in verse 9? And Abraham responds, she's in the tent. And then the Lord reiterates his promise in verse 10, and he says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And here in the meantime, we see in verse 10 that Sarah's listening at the tent door behind him. And then in verse 12, Sarah's response is what? It's a response of laughter. She laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, the Lord doesn't let this one go. This appears to be a laughter, really of like, okay, a laughter of of unbelief. The Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Of course, Sarah's afraid, and she denies it and says, "I did not laugh." But the Lord says, "No, but you did laugh." And there, the word laughter, uh, the ball of laughter here is bouncing around quite a bit, isn't it? And uh, uh, Isaac is to be named; uh, he's given a name that means he laughs. It's almost uh, perhaps the Lord is saying, "Okay, you guys want to laugh? All right, we're going to call him. You're going to call him. He laughs. That's going to be his name." And then when we get to chapter twenty-one. Uh, God makes good on his promise. Sarah conceives, she bears a child. Abraham is very quick to follow the commandments of the Lord. He names the child. uh, Isaac, just as he had been commanded in verse 4, he circumcises his son as he was commanded in Genesis 17. All males in your house eight days and older are to receive the sacrament of circumcision. He circumcises him. Uh, Moses reiterates the age, the age of these two, Abraham and Isaac, are are constantly being, uh, we're being reminded that they're elderly. He's 100 years old when Isaac was born to him. And now look at verse 6 and verse 7. This is the high point of chapter 21. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Now, the jury perhaps could be out on exactly what Abraham's laughter is all about in Genesis 17. We can conclude that Sarah's laughter in Genesis 18 is a laughter of, of unbelief. But the laughter of, Gen- of Genesis 21.6 and Genesis 21.7 is a holy, heavenly, joyous laughter. And I invite you to meditate on this passage, 1 through 7, 21, 1 through 7, uh, as you prayerfully meditate on this, your heart will actually be filled with this, with this joy. This is, uh, this is a high point. As I've meditated on verses 6 and 7, I just keep thinking of, of music. I just keep thinking of, these, of, these, of, of a major key, sweeping arpeggios in a major key. As as this as as we can imagine, Sarah holding uh, Isaac. She's waited twenty five years for him, and she's holding him. and She's holding him in her arms, and she's just she's just laughing. I I found myself doing that actually on the night of my graduation of seminary. Um, I, I had the privilege of speaking for our class that night, and I was a little bit nervous because this was a big auditorium. It was. Packed with people, you couldn't get a seat in that place. And, you know, we had a number of speakers. One of them was Derek Thomas. There was a number of speakers. I'm like, oh, I got to, I would have just rather just sat. But the whole, the, whole, um, uh, the whole thing of going through seminary, going through all of that, um, passing those exams, getting through all of that, and finally getting to a place where, wow, you know, we're going to graduate tonight. Tomorrow, I don't have assignments due. I don't have to memorize any more Hebrew. I, I'm, you know, it, it's over. And I was laughing. I remember uh, Dr. Perteau, it's making a comment. Saying, All Rick wants to do tonight is laugh. I couldn't control it. I was just laughing. What was I laughing? It was just the joy of the moment. But it pales in comparison to the laughter that we see in verses 6 and 7 here, where truly Sarah is holding this child at 90 years of age and she's looking at this child and, and all she can see is the god has really truly visited me and she's just full of joy and she says in verse 7 who would have said well in verse 6 she says everyone who hears will laugh over me and in verse 7 she said who would have said to abraham that sarah would nurse children yet i have borne him a son in his old age you see there it's just one of the high points actually of Genesis and really of the Old Testament uh, for that matter. Now, as we reach that high point, as we go into the next text, starting with verse 8, it it gets it starts to get a little troubled again. And that's the pilgrimage, isn't it? The earthly pilgrimage that we're on. High point, trouble. High point, trouble. Sometimes trouble, 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 and more trouble than high point. Um, that's how it goes, isn't it? Well, here we are in verse 8. The child, in between verses 7 and verse 8, about probably two and a half, three years transpired. It's easy to lose sight of that. Uh, two and a half, three years. If we were watching this on TV, the next scene would probably have a caption and have little letters, you know, two years later or three, probably more like three years later. So it's, it's probably closer to three years later. The child grew and at this point is weaned. And Abraham, keeping with the culture of his day, has a he has a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And in verse 9, it says, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And there's that laughing again. You see, that's one of the threads that's running through this, that, that, that we're to see. He's laughing. Okay, well, what's wrong with that? Everybody's laughing. What's wrong with this? Well, this is a different kind of laughter. It's even a different kind of laughter than what we have from Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17 and 18, respectively. It's a different kind of laughter. This is a laughter um, that is really, some of you may even have a footnote. Um, in the ESV, there's a footnote, and it, it says possibly laughing in mockery. Uh, possibly laughing in mockery. But the Bible is its best interpreter. The Apostle Paul makes it really clear for us what is going on here in in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. The Apostle Paul tells us that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And Sarah sees this. Sarah sees this. So she says in verse 10, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son. Son Isaac, and verse seventeen tells, or I'm sorry, uh, be verse eleven tells us that this the thing was very displeasing to Abraham, and we can understand why. Who is Ishmael? Ishmael is Abraham's son. What do you mean cast out my son? And this actually begins a, a portion of text where I think we have difficulty. There's tension for us here, isn't there? I mean what is what is Sarah what is Sarah asking Abraham to do? Sarah's asking Abraham really to 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 cast off his, his son and uh okay if if it stops in verse 11 we might write this off as okay uh, Sarah's just had enough you know this whole thing she suggested it in Genesis 16 uh, uh Abraham uh look you know uh, let's help God out and fulfill His promises. Take Hagar uh, as uh, my mistress or my my maiden as your uh, as your wife and, and serve children, serve a child to him. And maybe that's how the Lord will fulfill His promise. And they just make a big mess here, don't they? They make a tremendous mess here, and 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 things things. I, I mean, I can't imagine what the dynamic in this household's been like for the last probably at this point. Um, uh, Ishmael's probably 16 or 17 years old. Um, it's, this has had to have been a funky dynamic in the household. We could say, well, Sarah's just had enough of this. you know. But um, um, verse 12, in verse 12, the tension increases because God says to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And have you ever felt tension with that when you've read that story? Like, wow. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Just send Ishmael off into the desert to fend for himself? Is that what he's supposed to do? And then we can almost side with Ishmael. Ishmael's probably been the center of attention for the last 17 years, 16 years. Everything's been about Ishmael. And now comes along, you know, this... The, the, this Isaac, and he's getting all the attention, and they're saying he's truly the, the, the son of promise. Well, I thought I was the son of promise. So you can kind of side uh, with him, and, 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 and it will be like, well, okay, um, it would be wrong for Abraham to do this, but then when the verse 12 comes along, and here God is saying, Abraham, do this thing. We're like, wow, this just seems to, this just seems to take us by surprise, doesn't it? It takes us by surprise only if we understand, I think, two things about this. One is this is not any kind of prescription for us to follow. This is a description of what took place. Get that in our minds. This is not a prescription for stepmoms to get rid of their stepkids. That's that's not the case here. It's a description of what is taking place here. Um, God... The second thing we need to understand is Abraham is not casting this son off into the desert to fend for himself. God here is promising to Abraham that he is going to take care of Ishmael. You see that in verse 12? God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I'm sorry, it's verse 13. In verse 13 he says, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman, also because he is your offspring. So you see here, God is promising Abraham that he will take care of Ishmael. And that's really what verses 14 and onward uh, take up. Uh, In verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away and she departed wandering in the wilderness of Beersheba. And then we have this story where, okay, they run out of water and Hagar is distraught. And you can kind of put yourself in her shoes. This would be, a, it would be a, an awful thing. Uh, she's distraught and she, she puts the child under a bush in the, in, the, in the desert and she goes off about a bow shot away and she's just crying and the child is crying. And and the angel of the Lord intervenes in verse 17 and says, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Again, the Lord is promising to take care of him. And then in verse 19, God opens her eyes, she sees a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water, gave the boy a drink, and we're told in verse 20 that God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. So God here, again, fulfilling his promise. Again, this is all of God, isn't it? It's all of God. And, and, and then perhaps we scratch our head and we think, okay, this thing with Abimelech, how's that fit in here? I think that's a little, a little bit more difficult to figure out. You ever wonder, okay, how's this thing with Abimelech's back? You remember Abimelech, king of Gerar in chapter 20. uh, And here we're told in verse 22 that Abimelech, and now he's got the commander of his army with him. They come to Abraham and, and they say, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham says, I will swear. What is going on there? There's actually an amazing thing taking place right there. You remember, God has promised to Abraham that he will make him into a great nation. And what is happening? What is happening is a nation is recognizing that Abraham is being made into a nation. He's recognizing it to such a degree that he thinks, hey, it might be wise for us to make a covenant and get in good with Abraham. And that's an incredible thing. You see, again, that's what takes me to the conclusion that this chapter is really about fulfillment. God is fulfilling his promises. Abraham and Sarah have been walking for 25 years. They've been pilgrimaging through the Holy Land for 25 years. Through all of these struggles, and here the Lord is making good on His promises. Now, with all of this, um, what are we to make all of this? I have a few things I, I want to share here. The first is the, the first one it really came to me last week, actually, when I was preparing for last week's message, and it, it stuck with me. I, you know, back to verses six and seven when Sarah and Abraham are holding Isaac. Now that they are holding Isaac, they probably could never have imagined how they could have ever doubted the Lord's faithfulness to his promise. Do you understand what I mean by that? I think that's going to be an experience that each one of us will have when we meet Jesus. Jesus. And we see him with our eyes for the first time. When we see him, I think one of the things that might be going through our minds in that moment is how could we have ever doubted, even for a minute, the salvation that's been offered to us or any aspect for that matter when we see him and we see his holiness and we see his beauty and we see his trustworthiness and we see his grandeur and his splendor and his majesty and when we're beholding that in that moment how could we i mean i think one of the things is going to be going through our minds how could we have ever have doubted even for a nanosecond a single syllable of what he has told us i think it's going to be joyous i don't think it's going to be reprimanding in any way i think it's i think we're going to be laughing i think we're just going to be laughing i think it's just going to be it's just going to be so full of joy. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to communicate. How do you communicate these things? How do you use English language to communicate this stuff? It's too high. That's why my mind keeps going to music. I think of these sweeping arpeggios, you know, up, a major, up and down a major scale. It's just off the, off the ceilings of the cathedral, isn't it? It should fill our hearts with joy. The second thing is the Lord is faithful in keeping His promises. We've already noticed that. We have that emphasized for us in verses 1 and 2. And Someone may say, well, that's really obvious. Well, I'll tell you what. Whenever you're having a time where you're beginning to doubt any of God's promises, here's a passage you can come to. Here's a passage. I, I point this to your attention so that you can say, okay, next time I'm doubting, I can go to Genesis 21. And I can say, you know what, Abraham and Sarah, they had their moments, their weak moments of faith. I'm having my weak moments of faith. But here, look, God visited them and made good on his promises after 25 years. And you'll you'll find that this is a, a comforting thing. And related to it, we see that God's word can and should be trusted with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our will. And oftentimes, when we talk about this today, when you hear this being talked about, you'll hear people talk about it this way. They'll say, yeah, it'd be a good idea. You know, listen, if the Bible helps you, if the Bible comforts you, then put your trust and put all of it in in the Bible. If that's what works for you, that's a wonderful thing. No! No! No, perish that thought. The Bible should be, and must be trusted. We don't want to talk that way. It's a sinful thing to doubt the Word of God, is it not? It's not an option for us. When the King has spoken, what do we do? We're to follow. We're to follow. God's Word, here God is showing us so gracefully, saying, listen, you know, notice it, back in verses 1 and 2. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said. The Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken. He's showing us so gracefully, listen, my word can be trusted. In fact, it must be trusted. You must trust it. Otherwise, you're calling me a liar. Don't do that. Don't do that. Fourthly. The Lord had to delay in giving Isaac in order to show the human impossibility of the promise. We might ask, why is God delaying? Why did he wait 25 years? Because he wants to show the impossibility of this promise. You know, Abraham and Sarah tried to be, they tried to fulfill the promise, didn't they? They tried to fulfill it. And in our flesh, we're always trying to fulfill God's promises. Uh, Here, we're being instructed not to do that in any kind of way, Abraham tried to and Sarah tried to fulfill the promise with, with Hagar, and it just made a mess and this really is why Ishmael had to be cast out. We ask ourselves, why would God cast Ishmael out of Abraham's household? Well, it had to be done because Ishmael is the product of a human will it's the product of a human he is the product of a human attempt to try to fulfill God's promises. Now imagine if God would have allowed. Ishmael to remain in Abraham's household, how much confusion that would create for us today in trying to sort out the way of salvation. That would create a massive amount of confusion. In fact, Galatians 4, if you're not familiar with it, read it this afternoon, and you'll see Paul wouldn't even have an argument there. He wouldn't even have an argument there. So it's it's very important. Salvation is entirely the work of God. And back to my title, it's all of God. God waits until Sarah is 90 before she can to show that this is all of God. Fourthly, or fifthly rather, all believers are like Isaac. You know, if you're a, if you're a believer, this is a really wonderful thing. In Galatians 4.29, the Apostle Paul there tells the believing community whom he's writing to and through them tells us that if you're in Christ Jesus, you are like Isaac. Isaac, in the respect that you are a child of the promise. Now, how does all that work? Some of you maybe are connecting it right away, but let me just say this. Isaac is a miracle child, isn't he? There are a number of miracle children in the Scriptures. You think of Hannah. We think of, we've just looked at John the Baptist, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But our minds naturally go to Jesus, don't they? In fact, it's a greater miracle that takes place where Jesus is concerned. You see, this thing's pointing to Jesus. That's why I say fulfillment's a good word as long as it's partial, because this is all pointing to Jesus. Isaac is the child of promise with a lowercase p, and he has this miraculous birth, a miraculous conception, if you will. Jesus is the child of promise with a capital P. And the, the, the miracle is even a greater miracle, a virgin birth. Uh, the Lord could be said to use uh, to quicken natural, uh, natural process between Abraham and Sarah, whereas with, with Mary, no, the, the Lord overshadows her and she conceives. It's a greater miracle. It's the prom- he is the promised child with a capital P. But here's, here's something that will warm our hearts. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're also a miracle child. The Apostle Paul tells us that. Galatians 4, 29. John tells us that when he says in chapter 1 of his gospel in verse 13, he says that all who receive Christ are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So in other words, just as God visited Sarah, and she conceived and bore a son, otherwise there would be no Isaac, God has also visited each one of us and touched our hearts. Otherwise, there would be no belief. Isn't that a tremendous thing? It's amazing, chapter 21 of Genesis. So much gospel here, isn't there? It's just all gospel, isn't it? It's all gospel. It's It's all of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that this is all of you, that none of us can boast Oh, Father, it's completely of you. It's completely of your of your visiting us, oh Father. And Lord, we just respond with so much, so much thanksgiving, Father, and so much praise. That we see just as Isaac is a child of the promise, we see Jesus as the child of promise with a capital P, that Father, we also, oh Lord, you have touched and visited each one of us and made good on the promise. The promise to Abraham is that He will be the father of the faithful and father of numerous descendants. And that requires, Lord, that you you visit each one of these descendants, that you come and you visit the likes of us to make us children of Abraham. Oh, Father, here we see that this whole story is just dripping with the gospel, the good news, that you are intervening in the lives of sinners with such great grace and that you are bringing a Savior, that you have ushered in a Savior, that you have brought us a Savior who loved us so much that he would die in our place and satisfy justice in our stead and be raised on the third day, imparting new life to us, that we could be children of the promise. Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.